Come on. Hey, welcome to New Life Church. If you're joining us online, this is how we start off every service. We cheer for Jesus. Come on, let's do it one more time if you love him. Awesome. Well, if you're worshiping with us in person or New Life at home, welcome to New Life Church. We are so glad that you're here. How many believe that God has something he wants to say to you today? How many believe that? God has something that he wants to say to you today. I believe that, uh, I believe that wholeheartedly. And let me just encourage you, if, if you come to church every week with that type of predisposition that, God, you have something that you want to say to me today, you are going to be more attuned to hear what it is that he has to say. And so let me just ask you to kind of kick off this message I've entitled, When God Says No. How many love to hear the answer no when you ask for something? Come on, at all of our locations online, raise your hand. I love to hear no. How many don't know how to take no for an answer? Anybody in sales? Anybody in sales? You ever get one of those sales calls and you say no, but they just don't know how to take no for an answer? You know what I'm talking about? But I, I guess that's how you are a successful salesperson is you learn how to turn the no into a yes. But uh, none of us typically like to hear no for an answer. I hate to hear no for an answer. And think back to when, those of you who are married, when you first started dating your spouse, and actually before you start dating your spouse, and the first time that you were going to ask her out on a date, or him, depending on who started that, ask them out on a date, and you were hoping that they would say yes. Anybody ever get a no on the first date? Ouch, it hurts, it stings, doesn't it? We don't like to hear no. Have you ever asked your boss for something? You know, you went into your boss's office and you asked for a raise, and they said no. You asked Santa Claus. I remember as a little kid, you know, I asked Santa Claus. I had a bit back when I was a kid, we had the, I think it was the J.C. Penny catalog, right? And so my, my parents said, okay, this is how you ask Santa Claus for something. You go through the J.C. Penny catalog and you circle everything you want. Well, how many know that I circled everything on every single page, right? Except for the girl Barbie pages, everything was circled. And, and actually, as a kid, it was like the adult version of dreaming, buying a lottery ticket, and then start thinking and dreaming about everything that you're going to buy. You actually feel like you've won, right? That's how I was when I was a kid. And Santa said no all the time. What about something more significant and you ask God to come through in a situation, whether it was a healing, maybe it was a situation in your marriage where it needs, needs restoration, it was a new job, a better job, a job that you wanted, a financial situation, a wayward son or a daughter, something very significant and you prayed and you asked God and it seemed like his response, if you could, if you could kind of explain God's response in human terms, it seems like that he is apathetic, that he doesn't really care. Or that God is absent. He's not even, does God even hear what I'm asking him, right? Or that he's angry with you. Absent, apathetic, or angry, it seems like God is just not hearing you, is not answering, or his no means something that, uh, that hurts, and maybe you're going through that or you've gone through that in your life. You've stayed in that season long enough. You might even start to wonder if God even, you might begin to question God, not just his character, but does he even exist? Have you ever asked that question or maybe had that doubt? Is God, 
is does God even hear me? Actually, does God even exist? I've asked that question since I've been a pastor. Can I just confess that to you? It's really bad when you ask that question in the middle of a sermon, right? God, do you even exist? But there's been times where that question has popped up. God, are you real? Even though that I know, I know that he is. But it makes it challenging, and especially when it seems like it's going so well for other people. It seems like God's coming through. You hear a testimony. You read the resilient book about the stories of people at New Life Church and how God came through and turned their life around. And you hear those amazing things that glorify God. And, and you wonder, God, why aren't you doing that for me? Why aren't you, you, why aren't you answering this prayer that I'm praying in the way that I want you to answer it? And it seems that God might be ap- absent or apathetic to your prayer or he is just angry with you. There's something wrong with you. And you don't, really don't know how to deal with the no for an answer. Now, let me just encourage you with this, that God's lack of cooperation When he says no, God's lack of cooperation is not an argument against his existence. So you might be wondering that, are you even real, God? His lack of cooperation with you is not an argument against his existence. If a lack of cooperation was a great argument against somebody's existence, then there would be seasons in my life that I would wonder if my kids exist. How many parents are with me? Right? There would be times that, that for them, they would be walking around saying, we don't believe in dad. Dad doesn't exist, right? An argument, or excuse me, uh, lack of cooperation is not an argument against God's existence. In the Bible, we're going to be looking at one person in particular, but let me just say, if you haven't read the Bible, it's the... It's the greatest book you could ever read, and it tells the story of many different people, several of of whom that God used in incredible ways, and there are people in the Bible that's very clear that God loved them, that God used them, that God had incredible purposes. He did miracles through them. Some of them, one we're going to look at today, through this man, God gave us much of the Bible, much of the New Testament, but if you would drop into some of these people's lives at certain points you might assume that with them, God is absent, that God is apathetic about their situation, or maybe God's just angry with them. A man in the New Testament, we know him as the Apostle Paul. He was introduced to us in the beginning when we first find him in Scripture as Saul, but we know him as Paul. And before his conversion to Christianity, he actually persecuted the church. The church was just beginning. It's after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The church is just beginning, and Paul is persecuting, and in fact, he's killing Christians. But after he became a Christian, I mean, he is all in. He did a complete 180 in his life, and after his conversion, he spent about 20 years training, preparing, you know, uh, traveling the Mediterranean into hostile environments, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's amazing things that God did. Again, I said over half of the New Testament, God, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write, to write that. And we know if you've read the Bible, you know a lot of his story and the amazing things that God did in his life. But there were seasons, if you would drop in, where he was beaten, where he's in prison, where the ship that he was on, on his global outreach trip, his missions trip was shipwrecked. How many of you would like this scenario where you felt like 
you know, God's called you into children's ministry, and so you're going to get on New Life Kids Children's Ministry, and, and while you're there on your first day, you're, you're leading the kids' class that you're, you're leading these kids, and all of a sudden, you get bit by a snake. Now, how many of you would feel like that might be a sign that kids' ministry is not for you, right? Some of you are trying to process getting bit by a snake, a, a, a snake while in kids. Now, don't let that freak you out about signing up for kids ministry. We don't have snakes here. We're not that kind of church. But Paul, on a mission, was actually bitten by a snake, a venomous snake that should have ended his life. And this is this guy that God had called. God did amazing things in his life. But rewind the story to right after his conversion. We find that Paul, he kind of confesses that he had some type of an impairment, some type of issue in his life. And when he realized that this thing was going to keep flaring up, and from his point of view, it was a hindrance for what he was called to do, he asked God to remove it. And God said to him, no, no, no. Three times. It doesn't matter how much faith you have. It doesn't matter how much you pray. You can fast. You can do everything that you want. The answer to this one, God said, was no. Now, keep in mind, as I mentioned before, this is the Apostle Paul. I mean, people name their kids after him. If you've read uh, any of the epistles, like, like we're going to read today, First and Second Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the Thessalonians, much of the New Testament through Paul, the Holy Spirit gave us. Amazing things, planted all kinds of churches throughout the Mediterranean. This guy, God said to him, no. You know, if we just stop right there in the story, this should be an encouragement for you and for me to one of the most incredible men that we look up to in the, in the church. Instead of saying yes to remove his issue, God promised something better. He promised something else. And what he promised Paul, I believe that God offers to you and to me. So Paul, he wrote this letter to the Christians and the city of Corinth, and he tells them, as I'm just kind of set up what's going on, he tells them that he's receiving these incredible revelations, these visions from God, right? It'd be as if I, if I told you in pre preparing this sermon that God actually gave me a physical vision that I was able to see, and that's why I'm, what I'm communicating to you today. Now, I believe that God inspires sermon preparation, but there was this extra grace upon Paul that he was getting these revelations, these amazing revelations for the church in the first century. So he's telling them this, and then he goes on to say, but to keep me from becoming conceited, God allowed this issue, this problem, into my life. And in his description, it gives us insight as to what we can expect when God says no. So 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, verse 7, it says this, as I alluded to, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now turn to your neighbor and say, you are a thorn in my flesh. Did you ever think you were going to say that in church to somebody? How many have ever said that about your boss, your neighbor, your in-laws? Anybody ever said, they are a thorn in my flesh. You didn't know you were quoting scripture. That's all I was asking you to do right there. He goes on. 
He says, it's a messenger of Satan to torment me. A messenger of Satan to torment me. He describes this as tormenting him. We don't know what it was. Some people try to speculate exactly what, what it was, but intentionally, we don't know what it was because it's not important to the story. And this was a guy that God sent to do the most important thing that you can imagine, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ in the first century as the church is being birthed. And at the end of the day, at the end of his life, he was, Paul was very successful in what God had called him to do. But he had this issue. It says this in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times he persisted. I don't believe this was just he prayed three prayers, but three seasons of prayer as he pleaded with God to take this away from me. As as if he's telling us that he prayed, God, I'm just asking you to do what I've seen you do for other people, right? And if anybody had the credentials, had some leverage, right, in his life to ask this of God, it might be Paul. And then verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. How many like to take no for an answer? No, but my grace is sufficient for you. My kids, they, they like to go out to a restaurant on Sunday. On Sundays. It's, been, it's not always in every Sunday, but just kind of a tradition growing up. When I, I grew up that we had roast on Sunday. Anybody else like that? You had roast on Sunday. And I, I love roast now. I hated it as a kid, right? So our tradition, it has been, especially when we lived in Arizona, uh, we would go to Chili's, one of my favorite restaurants. Come on, anybody else love Chili's? Chips and salsa? Man, it's so good. We don't have it here. But my, my kids have grown to, to understand to understand no, but then how to twist that around, to turn that around. So they'd ask, Dad, can we go to Chili's? And I say, no, we can't go to Chili's. And so in their mind, for some reason, they have calculated, okay, Dad doesn't want to spend that much money. So they, they ratchet it down a notch. All right, we can't go to Chili's. So does that mean we can go to, to Subway? No, we can't go to Subway. Okay, so then they, they come down. Can we go to McDonald's? That means we get to go to McDonald's, right? No, we don't get to go to McDonald's. And finally, at the bottom of the list, Dad, can we, can we go to Quick Trip? Can we just get a hot dog at Quick Trip, right? And they persist, they persist in the request to get what they want from me. But that wasn't what we see in Paul, though there's nothing wrong with persisting. We're going to talk about that a little later. God said to him specifically, no, the answer is no. My grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to give you what you think you need. I'm not going to remove this thorn, this torment from you. My grace, though, is going to be sufficient for me. In other words, you're going to have to go another round. You're going to have to go another season. You're going to have to keep going with this, but my grace will be sufficient for you. So what is grace? Well, grace in this context is the ability to keep moving forward. It's the ability to keep pressing on, to get through another day, to go to work another day, to come home another day when everything is unknown. It's the ability to keep moving forward even when nothing has changed. It's the ability to even keep praying or to go to church or or giving to the Lord, tithing 
even though nothing has changed. It's the strength to keep going where God has called you to go. So to, to this guy, to Paul, God said, no, I'm not going to remove this. But here's what I'm going to do, and it's going to be something more valuable for you than removing what's tormenting you. I'm going to give you the strength to keep going forward with it. Verse 9, for my power is made perfect in weakness, he says. This is God speaking to Paul. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, none of us would sign up for this, right? I mean, we want to be the guy in the end zone, you know, with our hand pointing to the sky, giving all the glory to God. We want to be the gal rounding third base, pumping our fist, and then giving all the glory to God. And we're all, if you're a Christian, you're, hopefully you're all about giving God the glory and giving God the credit. And, and, but we want God to leverage his glory out of our success and out of our strength, right? And out of the great seasons of our lives. We want God to leverage his glory out of our talent and out of our opportunity and out of our strength. And we want the award and we want the spotlight. And when we're standing on the stage after we've given credit to our friends and family to God us there, we'll stop and we'll say, I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for getting me to this place. And don't get me wrong, I love it when successful people, talented people, whether they're athletes or they're artists, I love when they give credit to Jesus Christ and they have a platform to point people to Jesus Christ. And God sometimes does that and leverages those moments, absolutely. But then sometimes God says, no, I'm going to leverage my glory out of your weakness, I'm not going to leverage it out of the talent that I've given you or out of your discipline or out of your opportunity. I'm going to leverage it out of your weakness, your inability, the lack of opportunity. What other some people would consider a failure, I'm going to leverage that in your life and bring myself glory. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. It's a crazy message because it seems so counterintuitive to our natural way of thinking. It's, it's upside down. Well, let me just tell you, the kingdom of God is upside down to the way we think. His ways are higher than our ways. Amen? His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so we need, to, we need a course correction. We need an operating system update so that we begin to think about things in the way that God would have us think about things. And when he says no, there's always a better yes available. Now, the good news, once again, is that we wouldn't choose this because none of us would choose this. But isn't it true that when you meet a Christian who's facing a situation that maybe you would walk away from and, and you would say, Father, in prayer, Lord, I don't know how I would be able to manage what they're going through. I don't know how they do it. But somehow they have a peace, they have a grace. You find some people and it seems that God has said no, but they have this incredible confidence and their heart is at rest. And they say, whether with their words or the way they're living their life, that God's grace is sufficient for me. His power is made perfect in my weakness. Somehow God is not 
chosen to accentuate their strength, but he has chosen to showcase his strength on the stage of their weakness. And isn't that the most amazing testimony? Aren't some of those people the most impressive Christians you will ever meet? Not to elevate them on a pedestal, but to let them be an example of God's amazing grace. So here's a heads up if this is in your future and an explanation if it's in your past or an encouragement if this is right where you're living today. God can showcase his strength through your weakness if you will learn to take his no for an answer. So Paul goes on. He says in verse 9, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, is, I mean, is he just making this up? I mean, who talks like this, right? I'm going to delight in my weaknesses, in hardships, in persecution, in rejection. And I'm just going to celebrate when I, I didn't get the raise or the promotion. I'm just going to celebrate when, when the prayer for healing doesn't come through. I'm just going to delight in all these difficulties, right? Who talks like this? But have you ever met a Christian like that? Amazing. Sometimes God says no to us, but then his no, in his no, he turns around and he offers us something better than what we even asked for. And so here's what I want you to take away today. Just a couple thoughts to take away. If you're taking notes, write some of these thoughts down or let them imprint on your heart. Ask God to remove your thorns. Ask God to remove your thorns. This message is not an encouragement to stop praying and asking. In fact, I could preach all kinds of other messages from scriptures that, that tell us we should persist in prayer. We need to be praying persistently. Ask, seek, and knock, right? Ask for God to remove your thorns. And so this is not a sermon to get you to stop praying, to stop asking, or to only ask three times. Keep asking. God's expression of grace for you might be to remove your thorns. There's been seasons or times in my life that I've prayed, and God removed the thorn. God came through. He answered the prayer in exactly the way that I answered it. And so keep on praying. Ask God to remove your thorns. But know this, God might respond with a no. He might respond with a no. But if he responds with a no, you got to know that that no has an accompanying yes that's something better, something greater for you. And trust him. In his no. Here's how we can trust him. Romans 8 says, God causes everything, guess what? Even the thorn in our flesh, everything, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So even when God says no and he offers something better, my grace being sufficient for you, sustaining grace to, that you can make it through, that, that no is going to work together for your good. God may, God may choose to showcase his power on the stage of your weakness. Man, some, for some of you, that needs to be, that's a revelation for you today. 
Not, to, not, not this type of revelation that's just, I'm just going to accept whatever will be, will be, right? I'm not going to expect anything great from God. No, but when God comes through and says no to you, my grace is sufficient for you, trust him enough that he is going to leverage that situation, whether it's in your finances or in your health, right? Whether that's in... Uh, you know, how you're living out your faith, whatever the situation, God's going to leverage the no to showcase his glory. And his strength is going to come through. So the truth is, because you came to church to hear the truth, right? The truth is it may never change. The situation may never change. Some things may never be healed in this temporary life. Things may never come back together. And that is not a reflection of God's presence or lack of presence, his concern or lack of concern, or his attitude towards you. But it is God's opportunity to accentuate his strength through your weakness. It's awesome. Finally, this is huge. You cannot experience God's sustaining grace while resisting his will. Now here's the rub for us. Striving with God is, is when we become so frustrated that God is not doing what we want him to do, whether that's an election, whether that's in healing, whether that's in our personal relationship. We become so frustrated with God's will and we respond in a way that is untrusting. You take it to the extreme and it can come out in things like this. You know what? I'm never going to pray again. I'm never going to go back to that church again. And we're fighting against God. It's called striving. And everybody in this room and listening online, everybody has been in seasons of striving with God against God. God's will. You will never experience the grace that he's offering to you is sustaining grace that is sufficient for you while pushing back against his will. As long as you're striving against God's will, you're never going to experience that, even in the short-term will of God for your life. You will just grow bitter at God. You'll grow bitter towards prayer, and you'll never get to just abide or rest in God's grace. You'll still be a Christian, but you won't benefit from his grace. Sustaining grace, though, how do we get that? How do we lean into that? Sustaining grace begins with this type of prayer. Not my will, God, but yours be done. It's the same prayer that Jesus, our Savior, prayed before he went to the cross. And he's in the garden. We see the metaphor of a cup. And the cup... And what was in the cup represented going to the cross, sacrificing his life, taking on the sins of the world, right? Separation from the Father. And drinking the cup was obedience to that assignment. And he prayed, Father, if there's any way, would you take this cup from me? The cup is very similar to the thorn in Paul's side, a torment. If there's any way, would you take this from me? But now that you know what my humanity, what, my, what I feel like I need and what I'm praying, here's what I really want. Nevertheless, not my will, 
but yours be done. Leaning into God's sustaining grace starts with that type of attitude in prayer. And into the gap of what I want and what God chooses to do is sufficient, sustaining grace. God's power at work in you. But you'll never experience this as long as you're kicking against his will. And it begins with, once again, not my will, God, but yours be done. I'm trusting you for strength, strength to make it through, strength to go another day, to go another round, to get up and keep pressing on. Strength to keep praying, keep asking, keep persisting, to live out my faith when it's hard to live out my faith, to keep pursuing, to keep pressing on. I'm trusting, God, that you will give me the strength, the sustaining grace to keep going. And I can say with confidence that the people in my life over the years that have revealed the most about God to me are not the ones that were standing on the stage receiving the Christian of the, you know, the year award. But there are the ones who were in the middle of it, walking through the thorn in their life. And God's grace seemed very sufficient for them. In my weakness, and in your weakness, he is strong. Would you stand with me? Father, we thank you that we serve a good, good father that you know what is best for us, that there are times that your no means that there's another option along the same line. Some of us were wrestling with about what to do with, with a job choice. And when you shut a, jo- a door at one job, you open a door at another job. And so there's times that your no means there's an alternative along the same lines. But sometimes your no is simply no. With the yes being my grace will help you keep going in spite of the affliction. But help us to know today that we can trust what you say. Help us to learn when you do say no, to take no for an answer, to trust you, to lean into your grace, to not kick against your will. And I pray that for my friends today that that they would be people of faith, that would be persistent in prayer, that we would continue to ask you that our thorns would be removed. But to trust you when what we ask for, you have a different yes. Help us to be people of grace, to display your glory, even on the stage of our weakness. May you get the glory. I pray that for my friends that are here or listening online, that before this moment passes, before this day ends, that if they don't know you as your Lord, as their Lord and their Savior, their leader, that today there would be a surrender of their heart to you, that they would trust you with their life. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.